welcome back everybody to the greater community. This show exists to inform you and, and help you learn about what God is doing outside of the four walls of the church into the greater community, both locally and globally. And today we are super excited to have Adam Edgerly and Al Tazan from Evangelical Covenant Church, the, the host denomination of Community Covenant. And they're going to be talking about what God is doing through their ministries. So Adam and Al, welcome so much. Why don't you introduce yourselves and tell us about what you're doing? Sure. Thank you so much, Tom. Thanks for having us. Um, my name is Adam Edgerly, and I'm uh, the newly uh, elected uh, or new, newly appointed uh, director of Covenant World Relief, which we now call Covenant World Relief and Development. And I'll tell you a bit more about that as we get rolling here, but that's my role. And so I've uh, been meeting with my new boss, Al, to talk about uh, what the covenant is doing globally. It's, it's just been a very exciting uh, couple of days that we're, we're spending together to talk about these things. So you caught us at a great time when uh, we're excited and passionate about all that the God, God is doing with the covenant around the world. Yeah, yeah. So Pastor Tom, uh, good to see you and uh, greetings to, uh, to your folks there at Community Covenant. Um, so my name is Al Tizon and uh, I have been serving as the executive minister of Serve Globally which is what our denomination calls all of its international ministries. I've had the privilege of overseeing the work there um, and I've uh, been doing that for uh, about a little over five years now. So Adam, you, you talked a little bit about kind of a name shift or a name change with what we have known for years and years as Covenant World Relief. Tell us a little bit about kind of the shift and, and what is happening um, currently in that ministry. There really is no shift in function of Covenant World Relief when we uh, made the name change to Covenant World Relief and Development. It's more of a, uh, a description of what has already been happening. And so in addition to uh, relief work, disaster relief from floods, earthquakes, and, and uh, things like that, even the COVID pandemic, um, Covenant World Relief has been doing development projects that include everything from clean water, to uh, agricultural projects, um, microloan funds, even uh, even reconciliation work, and you know conflict resolution, uh, empowering of, of women in different areas, um, working with people who are at risk of human trafficking and doing human trafficking prevention, as well as working with people who are rescued out of human trafficking to rebuild their lives. And this has been happening for for years with Covenant World Relief, and the name change really reflects. A, a desire to communicate more accurately what we do as Covenant World Relief. So Covenant World Relief and Development is a rebrand that just tells that story a little bit better. We, I mean, there, there's a, you know, there's relief response or disaster response. Um, but, you know, it's not like, it's not like um, we do, we do the disaster response and then we just kind of wait around for the next disaster. <laughs> so we can, you can look at it like, like, all right, we're doing steady, long-term development in between disaster responses. You can look at it like that. And like Adam said, this is what CWR has always been doing. It's just that now the name reflects the, the larger, broader work that it has always been about. I've heard it described like this, that if you think about the parable of the Good Samaritan and you have a person that gets beat up on the side of the road, that's great if you want to go help that person that gets beat up on the side of the road. But if people keep getting beat up, should probably figure out why that's happening so we don't have to keep picking people up off the side of the road, right? Yeah, and, and so Covenant World Relief and Development is involved 
in both of those things. Right, right now, we are, we are responding um, to a, a tremendous flood in, um, in Ethiopia, and where we have people from South Sudan and Ethiopia that are in refugee camps that are being flooded out. And it's unprecedented. It's like it's a flood like that, that you don't see um, for a hundred years. And Covenant World Relief and Development is responding to that to provide relief for people there. Uh, we're having a similar type of problem in India where there's a tremendous flood. And we work through partners who are um, on the ground, people who are from that area, and people who have demonstrated skill in disaster response. That's one of the beauties of how Covenant works with World Relief and Development operates, is we have highly skilled, efficient people who are there, who live there, know the area, and can respond immediately, as long as we have the resources to come alongside them um, that allows us to participate in that. Yeah. So you, you mentioned in, in your description earlier on providing clean water, and, and our people would be familiar with that. We've been uh, partnering with Team World Vision for the last several years, raising funds for the Covenant Kids Congo. Um, and so how do you, I know you talked a little bit about the criteria, but I, with a limited amount of resources, how do you determine who you're going to partner with? You can't obviously be everywhere and do everything. So how do you make the determination of saying, hey, we're going to put our investment in this community or we're going to put you know, our investment with this organization? Yeah, how do you make those determinations? So that's, that's really exciting, actually. In, um, unlike other relief and development agencies, Covenant World Relief is embedded within Serve Globally, which is embedded within the Covenant Church. So we, we make these decisions um, to a great extent based on relationships. We have people that we know. We have organizations that we know. We, have, we like to call them people who are Covenant Connected. And so that guides us into relationship and into partnership in ministry in countries all over the world um, with relationship. It goes all the way back to the beginning of the covenant. We're mission friends. So we have friends uh, in, in so many uh, places in the world that we're able to find these really reliable, credible partners and get busy doing ministry together. It, it's interesting you mentioned Covenant Kids Congo. Um, that's one of the synergies that has been recently just uh, adjusted, recognizing that, that natural fit with Covenant World Relief and Development. Covenant Kids Congo is now part of, of uh, Covenant Relief and Development. And I'm coming out of a role of being a pastor for 17 and a half years. Our church, New Song LA, has been supporting Covenant Kids Congo, doing the marathons and the 6Ks. And uh, I even got a chance to go and visit some of our, our kids that are being sponsored there. And we have a new project that's just kicking off. So an opportunity to move. Hey, tell yeah. us about that because, you know, we actually just finished our Kansas City Marathon was canceled, um, but we still did a virtual half and full marathon with our team. I got a chance to do that a couple of weeks ago. We found a park in on the Missouri side of Kansas City and we made it happen. Um, our little congregation still was able to raise about $30,000 this year, which, you know, with about about 15 people. I mean, it was a small and mighty team that kind of came together and awesome. people are excited. It's been honestly probably one of the most um, exciting with the most synergy that we've had in the area of our, of our global presence. So if you've got a new partnership, man, we'd love to hear about it. Can you tell us a little bit more about and about what's, what's happening in that? You know, it's the on? same partnership, right? With World Vision. Um, but it's, it's a new phase. Of okay, yeah. 
um, and and we're we're wanting to freshen up the the, the same. It's really it really is the same vision um, of of uh, sponsoring children, and by sponsoring children in the way of World Vision, we're talking about um, uh, being good news also to that child's family and that family's community. It's a holistic approach. Right. And um, we, we've always been doing that, but now we have this opportunity to uh, to add to our 6,500 uh, child sponsorships. To add to that, um, because we've started a new uh, World Vision has started a new area development project, an ADP in, an, in a, a, a town called Karawa, and um, we're you know we're we're looking to uh, to add sponsorships to to fill that that ADP. And so it's an it's the old, it's the same vision, but really that 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 vision never gets fulfilled until every child is sponsored, every family is helped, right. every family has access to clean water. It, it, when, until that happens, there is real there is no end really to this to this vision. Yeah. And so uh, we want to freshen that up and and give churches like like Community Covenant there uh, an opportunity to uh, recommit to this uh, to this amazing work. So folks that are familiar with, with me and my social media will, will heard me say the phrase a million times, $50 provides clean water for life for one person. And so they've heard me say that probably ad nauseum. They're probably excited not to see my sweaty workout uh, training, training run videos over the summer that, that's done with. But I know sometimes when, you know, especially this time of year, when all kinds of nonprofits and ministries are trying to raise funds and you know, everybody says, hey, this is making a difference. This is making a difference. Can you, can either of you talk a little bit about, as you have seen firsthand, the difference that these, this investment actually makes in these communities? Wow. I, I'll start, but I know Al's got a lot more um, to say about this with Serve Globally in general, but uh, I, I would say two things that are important when you want to make an investment, um, you know, trust and, and relationship, trust and impact. Uh, so you, so if you want your money to make an impact and you want to know that you can trust that what is being said is actually what's being done. So from going to visit um, our, our work, say, with, with Coveted Kids Congo, I got to see our church, you know, the CUM, that the Covenant Church in Congo that has been in relationship with the Covenant Church in North America for generations and how they are using those resources to empower people, to bring water through a wide variety of projects, micro loan funds, um, transforming whole communities. So I've, I've seen that on the ground and how a little bit of investment makes such a huge impact. But we, we also are, are you know, rescuing people from human trafficking and doing reconciliation work. And the pattern is always the same. We find someone who is a trusted partner, there's relationship there, um, there's a whole set of protocols to make sure that things are actually being done efficiently and ethically. Uh, and then there's just this major replication of impact because we don't have the, the huge cost of trying to bring a whole American team into some place we don't know, spending all this overhead to get something done. We're working with people who live there, who are on the ground, who understand things and can do it much more efficiently. So. So, so even as you talk about that, now I want Alan to ask you this specifically because um, you talked on this in your book. How do you see? It seems like there's a shift between you know what's happening global, being 
kind of Western driven. And, you know, I think sometimes our churches in the West can think like, man, the world's going to not, it's, it's all going to fall apart if we don't come to the rescue. But, but that's, you know, that was probably never right. But also we're learning how to do this in a totally different way. So can you talk a little bit about kind of how the paradigm of being sent or being global has changed even in the last, you know, decade or couple of decades in the church? Well, I'm, I'm glad that you, that you detected a change because it's, it's, there really has been some, some uh, notable changes in the way mission is being done. And, and it's, not even, it's not even the nature of it. It's the broadness of it. It's like mm-hmm. if, if, uh, if we could conceive of mission in the past as one way, you know, west to east, north to south, United States to some exotic land. Um, it, that, that, is, that is obsolete now. It's, it's a, we use a phrase in, in, in mission today called, uh, that's, that says from everywhere to everywhere. Yeah. So it's not just the West, Western churches that are sending. Right. The, the global church is sending um, their own to other parts of the world and creating uh, an opportunity to be, for, for the church in the world to truly be the global church in mission. Yeah. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. I call it the holy mess of mission. <laughs> because, because, yeah, it's, it's much neater, you know, to draw an arrow, you know, from west to east, north to south kind of thing. It's, it's so much easier to do that. And the graph is, is simple. And, and, oh, yeah, yeah, here's, here's, the, here's the, this part of the world sending to, to that part of the world, and, and that's mission. Well, it's just so much messier now in a, in a beautiful way. Because um, it it does um, highlight the the, the global, multi ethnic nature of the people of God uh, around the world. Amen. And um, I, for one, am looking forward to the day when um, missionaries from other parts of the world are coming to the United States, and the churches here are are um, just as good at receiving as they are at sending yeah you know can you imagine um that that's a paradigm shift right it's it's like what, what do you mean we need to receive missionaries don't, don't what, the united states needs missionaries and i i say with well, i say amen i say resoundingly <laughs> yes yes we do we need a fresh word from the from from other parts of the globe to tell us uh to correct us to inspire us to be all that we can be in Christ, in, in our locale. So those are just some of the things that are that are changing, we're being witnesses to, and we feel invited by the Spirit to participate in. So something you said, or a lot of what you said, it, it reminded me that we've been using the language of partnership when we talk about that. Um, that feels like a very intentional word to be using with, you know, indigenous ministries or national ministries. Why is the use of the word partnership, especially as I think about maybe past issues of colonialism, what's the difference between a true partnership that's kind of symbiotic versus a more like paternalistic relationship that maybe ministries have had in the past? Well, <laughs> can of worms, buddy. <laughs> well, a can of worms that need to be opened yeah. and, and emptied and buried, really. I mean, you, you really named the, the difference. In, in a colonial approach to mission, mm-hmm. uh, I, I, you know, partnership, the word partnership was probably used, but it's, it wasn't really partnership. It was 
in a, in a colonial um, uh, environment, it's, it's, the, it's the visitors who come as intruders, really, and, and they impose uh, not only their culture, but their understanding of God and church and, and, um, and begin to replace the, the ways that people were accessing God and, and practicing faith. Mm. They replace it with, with, the, with their stuff because they were convinced that it was the, it was the thing. It, we, we had the revelation and we're going to bring it to you so that you can be saved and enlightened. And, um, you know, we, we, we have zero tolerance for that anymore. We strive humbly in the spirit to forge a post-colonial mission approach. And, and that has everything to do with learning how to be good partners. Mm. You know, I, I liken it to, um, to, um, to host-visitor um, rela- uh, relationship, a host-visitor relationship, you know? Uh, I would resent it very much if you came to my house, Tom. I mean, I love you, but mm-hmm. if you come to my house and you don't ask me anything, you go in the fridge and you, you, set, up, you set up the way you want to set up and, and not ask me, I'd, I'd, be, I'd not be happy with you. Right. And that, that is the way missionaries have done it. We've, we've gone in the past, we've gone to these countries, not, uh, 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 irrespective of the hosts of that country, Right. And we set up shop and did, did what we wanted to do. And uh, that, that day, I, I want that day to be so over. Now, yeah. it's, still, it's still here. I mean, there, it lingers, and it's hard to, to change things. But that's, we're, we're, we're moving toward that. We want mm-hmm. none of that. We want to be good visitors. <laughs> we want to be good guests and to come and, and, um, and work with the hosts and to listen to the host because they pretty much know their house better than you do. <laughs> so the question with that, and I love what you said, the question that one might ask is, but wait a minute, aren't we bringing the gospel? Aren't we bringing the truth with us? How can we stay true to this, the purity of this message and do this well at the same time? How does that, how does that work? How would you um, bring in the gospel? So, so there, in many of the places where, where uh, we're going, many places where we're serving, there are believers already there, and they already have a call from God to expand the reach of the gospel in their area. And so when we come alongside to partner with them, um, first thing to ask is, what is God already doing here? What are we stepping into? How do we help? But the, in many ways, Tom, we're, we're going back to the future. So if you look at in the book of Acts, when the church in Jerusalem sends Barnabas to Antioch, right. you have these people, you know, from everywhere to everywhere, right? So they're not coming from Jerusalem to plant a church in Antioch. Some people from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and they didn't know any better. So they start preaching to everybody. And before you know it, you have this multicultural church that's forming. Barnabas goes and he says that Barnabas celebrated the grace of God that he saw there. And then he realizes we need a really good teacher to come alongside you. I'm going to Tarsus to go find that guy and bring him there. And so now there are all these leaders already there in Antioch and Barnabas and Saul are partnering with them, participating in what God is doing there. Then the Holy Spirit says, I want you to take these two guys and send them to these other places. So they go into Macedonia and Asia, they go all over the place, right? So God is sending people 
from everywhere to everywhere. And when we show up, we show respect for the people who are there and for what God is already doing there. Yeah. And even if we bring the message of Jesus Christ, it doesn't mean we're bringing God. God has already been operating. Man. God has already been speaking. And if we do things well, we're going to listen long enough to pick up on the story that's already there and explain how um, Jesus sent us to bring a piece of it that keeps that story going. So, yeah, it, it takes a whole lot more cultural humility than um, we've often exhibited in the past. Yeah. Well, and it sounds like, and I'm, I'm asking, I'm trying to tee it up for you guys. So I've, uh, I'm on board. So I just want you to, just to be clear. Um, but when you're talking about the gospel, we're not just trying to get them to pray or prayer so they can go to heaven when they die. This is a bigger gospel than just, just what happens later on someday. So this is just, uh, I'm just going to throw the, the real slow, soft, slow pitch softball to you guys. And can you just talk about how you see the gospel in all of its fullness um, in the midst of, you know, all those different dimensions that you talk about covenant world relief and development, working on how some of those things that we might, or some might not normally equate with the gospel, how that is actually a very faithful expression of the gospel. So just tell yeah, just, Again, that's a slow pitch softball. Feel free to hit it wherever you want to hit it in the park. So, you know, I love I love the passage in First um, Corinthians uh, where it, it it breaks down. Paul breaks down the message that he received that Christ died, that he rose from the dead. Uh, he died for our sins according to the scriptures. He rose from the dead. But even in that passage um, in First Corinthians fifteen, where he's he's breaking down that message that he received, his argument there is the resurrection is real. Because, you know, that's the message we got from the very beginning. He's not trying to tell you a micro gospel. Yeah. Because if we want to know what the gospel is, what was the gospel that Jesus preached? Mm -hmm. Jesus preached the kingdom of God is at hand. And yeah. that means that the sick are healed. The, the, um, the, the, those that are harassed by demons are, are freed and set free. It means that if you are trying to exploit people, politically, economically, in the courtyard of the temple, I'm here to disrupt that and turn over some tables of money changers and let people know that this kind of corrupt order is over. So the gospel is this comprehensive message of the reign of God and the yeah. presence of the Son of God. And yeah, it takes away our sin. It brings us into harmony and, and reconciliation with God. But it also, as Colossians says, reconciles all things to God in Christ. Yeah. So there's a personal dimension to it, of course. And that's what, what we as uh, evangelicals have, uh, have really glommed onto, right? The personal dimension. And it's not wrong. But if that's all you're hanging on to, if that's all that, that we look to to define the gospel, then, then we, we have, uh, you know, frankly, been preaching an incomplete gospel. Yeah. Because it's the gospel of the kingdom, as Adam said. It's not the gospel of personal salvation. It's the gospel of the kingdom, which includes personal salvation. But it also has social implications. The gospel, the good news of God's kingdom, when, when God reigns, justice is there, peace is there, righteousness is there, mercy is there uh, for, for all. Uh, we, we need to envision a, a transformed society in Christ. We need to envision, if we can do it, a transformed world in Christ. Yeah a new heaven and a new earth in Christ. And, and that's, that's a little bigger than our, than our personal salvation. Yeah. So, and I want to say uh, it's even bigger than that 
it's, it, it, it actually um, has, has stewardship implications. It has personal, it has social, and it has environmental. Like we need to, we need to do some uh, reconciling with, with the very earth that we, that, uh, that we live our lives. Mm. We've done violence to the earth. And so when we're talking about the gospel of the kingdom, we're talking about God's shalom world, right? Um, and and uh, there is nothing about God's world that God does not want to redeem. Mm. Yeah, I remember reading, well, the first time I read Christopher Wright's The Mission of God, he talks about Jubilee. And it's not just, uh, you know, the forgiveness of debt for people, but it's the whole idea of letting the land rest, you know, in that time, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. There's, you know, Christopher Wright was probably the first missiologist that I read that really talked about that, you know, creation care as being really part of the, of the, of the whole gospel in it. That really unlocked a whole lot of things. And I think that's, as the church, we are just coming to start to realize all these dimensions, but these aren't things that we are, you know, we're not coming up with this in 2020 and saying this is a new gospel. I mean, I see we've actually been studying the book of Galatians along with The Color of Compromise by Jamar Tisby with a group at church and talking about Paul as like the great reconciler. I mean, you think about how different would that early church have been if Gentiles would have had second class status right off the bat. Right. right. You know, if he didn't, if he didn't, you know, oppose Cephas to his face and say, "Hey, man, like, why are you acting this way with this group of people?" And then you're acting a different way when 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 these other people show up. Like, what's going on? But that, you know, Acts 15. I look at Acts 15 as like that pivotal moment. You mm-hmm. know that they make that decision of we're gonna, you know, we're gonna be a united people of Jews and Gentiles. But you know, those are aspects of justice in the scriptures and you go even obviously go back to the old testament prophets mm-hmm. that's something i see the church really almost rediscovering in the last couple of decades at least more in the kind of suburban church you know we're starting to read the old testament prophets a little bit more and we're starting to get into wow this is not stuff that is just be kind of come in vogue in the last couple of decades but these are themes that have been in scripture you know for since ancient times yeah, we didn't make this stuff up. Right. So, Tom, you, you hit on something I think is really important is, is that um, it can feel new because it's a rediscovery, which yeah. begs the question, how did we lose it? And, and, and part of the truth that I think needs to be told here is that there was a deliberate, systematic uh, expunging of certain things from what was preached. If you're, if you're going to go and take land from people, if you're going to go and wipe out indigenous people, or if you're going to go and kidnap a, a slave labor force, you probably aren't going to preach about not kidnapping and not enslaving, and you're not going to preach about not doing genocide. So you, you end up with this truncated gospel that's being preached by people that just can't talk about certain things because they're doing those things. Mm. And, and not to mention they had theological cover because uh, um, the, the Pope very early on in 1452 had given permission to first Port- Portugal and then eventually all of the, um, the, the nations in Europe. Wherever you find non-Christians, it's okay to take their land, to, uh, to kill them or relegate them to perpetual slavery. So they're operating under this sort of religious cover and the reformers never repudiated that. Right. So 
America's founded with that as a backdrop and all of South America and Africa, these places are colonized because people had had this religious cover and what they preached didn't match what's in the Bible. So as we just rediscover things, there can often be a, a feeling of discomfort, like, well, if this is really true, then how come I'm just now discovering it? Because there was a reason not to preach it. <laughs> yeah. You think, see that even in, in things like the slave Bible that just takes whole books of the Bible out that anything that would incite, you know, uh, them to revolt or to find true freedom or, or to, you know, throw off their shackles, all of that stuff is expunged out of scripture. So essentially it sounds like what you both are talking about is to be involved in this more holistic work is really to be the most faithful possible you can to, to the scriptures. We're not talking about just picking out portions of scripture. We're talking about being faithful to all of scripture, not just our favorite passages. Exactly, Tom. That, that is, and, and I want to connect what some of the things we're talking about here to the ministry of CWRD. Because to many, uh, this, all this you know, mercy and justice work, relief work, development work, that, that's not really the gospel. It's, it's opening the door for the gospel. Yeah. And that's, that's sort of the, the, the right. thinking in, in many people's minds. Uh, and it's because we have we have separated out and then prioritized the personal over the social and those kinds of things. But if we really grasp the wholeness of the gospel of the kingdom of God, yeah, and we would see the work that uh, that Adam's heading up now, CWRD, um, the work of justice and relief and uh, and peacemaking and reconciliation as demonstrations, reflections of the good news of the kingdom. It's not opening the door for the good news of the kingdom. It is the good news of the kingdom. Now, yeah. now here's, here's the problem, though. For whatever reason, uh, we, 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 we think mutually exclusively about things. It's like, all right, so if that is the good news, then maybe we don't have to preach it. Maybe we don't have to tell the story. And so we throw out evangelism or we, throw, mm. or we, we, we minimize it. And, and I want to say, no, 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 no. We have a story to tell. Right. There's a story that goes along with what you're seeing. I, I, always, I often describe the, the gospel as audiovisual. Yeah. We've been really good at audio, really, mm, as evangelicals. We just talk, 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 and people hear, but they don't see much. It's like a radio, right? They, they, yeah. and so, but, but it's visual, too. But it's the same gospel. It's not the visual getting, making way for the, the gospel. The visual part is also gospel. So... The gospel is audiovisual. Um, is is a I, I can you know. I can picture a sermon with that title. <laughs> I just I just I you know I'm getting a vision, Tom. I think somebody somewhere is going to preach a sermon with that title about the audiovisual gospel. Yeah. If if not anywhere else, it's definitely going to be preached in L.A. <laughs> yeah, I'm taking notes over here for my my next message coming up. Yeah, that's, that's right. I'll preach. I'll preach. Yeah. So talk about that then, because that feels. You know, in our congregation, it's really probably more the older generation that has really been kind of the backbone of the financial support of Covenant Royal Relief and now Covenant Royal Relief and Development. But I can see this being actually a more beautiful gospel for the next generations coming up who are really, they only see audiovisual. They have no interest in the podcast gospel, they want to see the whole thing, right? So um, can you, yeah, talk about um, how this, 
idea of being really faithful to all of it is something that is really maybe a more a more attractive message to to those who are really wondering if Christianity is worth it or maybe wondering if you know I guess we could talk about evangelicalism but just in general the Christian movement for a culture that is has a growing number of nuns you know n-o-n-e-s um talk about how the work that you're doing um is something that really meets the hunger of, of this next generation Ooh, I'm getting chills here. So, so Tom, being a pastor for the last 17 years, uh, I've, I've watched these shifts take place and I've watched God reach out to people in a wide variety of ways. I'm thrilled to be a part of the covenant because there are people who have been faithful, people in, in funding Covenant World Relief as an example, there are people who have been faithful in keeping this thing going and it's their heart. But what I'm watching is, yeah, there's a younger generation that is uh, disillusioned, they're turned off by some of the people who are who are leading in the evangelical movement and the inconsistency with what they say and what they do. But when John was disillusioned, he sent his friends to go ask Jesus, "Are you the one, or should we look for another?" And he said, "Tell John what you see." Yeah. Right? The blind are given their sight. The you know the lame are 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 given their their ability to walk and all these things and the miracles that were taking place, and he was he's basically saying if you want to know if this gospel is real if you want to know if I'm really the one look at what I'm doing I I have a 14 year old daughter and it thrills me to be able to preach the gospel to her by showing her what Jesus is doing yeah and I believe that we have a generation right now that they need to see the gospel. To, yeah. to believe um, that Jesus is the one. Yeah, it, it, it's bearing out. I mean, there, there, we, we are. There is an increasing number of nuns and duns, right? Yeah. Um, but it's, it's bearing out that those who stay have, have, uh, have, have seen and have, have participated. Know that there is more to the gospel than, than the words we speak. Um. So it's bearing out, but here, here's what I think. I think that uh, any age, at any age, we human beings are drawn to authenticity yeah. and integrity. Yeah. And when we, when we preach truncated gospels, when we preach half gospels and false gospels, um, it will be a turnoff ultimately for all ages. <laughs> yeah. and, and conversely, I'll say it positively, when we yeah. preach, when we we preach the, the gospel of the kingdom in all of its dimensions, in all of its wholeness and its beauty. Uh, I don't care if you're 90 or you're nine or you're 19, you're gonna, you, it's, it's gonna be something you have to reckon with. It's, yeah. You're gonna be, you're gonna, you're gonna be, it's gonna, you're gonna face it and you're gonna have to do something about that. Right, right, and that's nothing new. I mean, you think about the Acts 2 community as they're sitting around the table, but then they're also receiving the teaching and there's also people being healed. You see thousands being added. It's like, well, why were thousands being added? Well, there's something happening in this community that's not happening other places. Yeah. The real's going yeah. on. Yeah. And, and on the, the reconciliation piece, I think about when you talk about church growth, Tom, um, Acts 6, where there was an age-old conflict between people from a Greek background and people from a Hebrew background, even though they had the same religion, they were at odds with each other because of their cultural backgrounds. 
when the church was faced with a complaint about that, they called an entire meeting of thousands of people. The whole church came together and they entrusted this, this issue to the group to, to establish some new leadership. They bring in the leaders of the people who were historically oppressed and those new leaders just took the church in a completely different direction. You end up with a, a church plant in Samaria, in, in, in uh, Ethiopia. You end up with a generation like four young prophetesses from, from Philip's family. Stephen becomes the main spokesperson. And then what got me in that chapter is the priests who had been trying to deal with this issue of conflict for a long time, they saw somebody else with God-driven reconciliation taking place, and they start to join the church. You end up with priests joining the church because of the reconciliation taking place. It, without that tangible demonstration, there's something wrong with what we're saying. But I got to tell you a story about the, the importance of saying it as well. Mm -hmm. um, when I was in college, I was low on money. So I used to uh, buy clothes that kind of matched my, my friend's clothes. And we would swap clothes, especially if we got a big date, right? And so I'm, I'm on a double date with a friend. And my friend's girlfriend said, that's a really nice shirt you're wearing. And I'm like, thank you. And my friend kicked me under the table because it was his shirt. <laughs> and, uh, and he looks at me and he says, man, give credit where credit is due, right? <laughs> and I think that as we are loving people, as we're doing reconciliation, uh, as we're doing the ministry, certainly of Covenant World Relief and Development, let's give credit where credit is due. We do what we do because the love of Christ compels us to do it. So that brings up a whole bunch of things to my to mind but the thing that is maybe at the top of my thinking right now is so you're just kind of getting rolling in this new role of the covenant and as we talk about kind of new movements of god and you talk about in the early church that god kind of started to kind of expand out the church in different directions what has god put on your heart specifically that you see in this new chapter of leadership in this ministry what where do you see kind of, kind of a new, a new fresh wind blowing through? What has God put in your heart for the next chapter of Covenant World Relief and Development? Wow. Well, the first first thing is it's very humbling to be uh, given this opportunity. And uh, David Hughesby has has been building something really beautiful with the whole team. Uh, and and then you know prior to that, we're standing on the shoulders of people who had, had vision and passion and commitment to Christ. So I feel very humbled to be given the mantle of this. And I'm at the stage right now where I'm just trying to learn really well what's going on. And, and day by day, I'm, I'm more thrilled to discover the kinds of partners that we have, the kind of wisdom and skill that they have and faithfulness to God. Uh, man, I, I just, so I'm, I'm in a learning mode. And I do have dreams and visions for uh, for the future and what we can do better. But right now, I'm marveling at what's already being done so well and the principles that we operate under, the whole commitment to, to partnering uh, rather than going and reinventing the wheel in places. But here's one vision that I have. Right now, maybe about 40% of our churches support Covenant World Relief and Development. And I would say within our congregations, the majority of people would get excited about what we're doing if they really understood what we're doing. Yeah. So part of my, my dream and passion is just to allow people to participate who have not been able to participate because they didn't know. Yeah. Um, and, and then we, we have limited resources. We have to say no to things. We have people telling us about folks that are dying when there are, uh, are um, 
floods taking place and this kind of thing are opportunities to really develop leaders in different regions. And we have to uh, parcel out our funds. I would love to be able to say yes to more. And that means expanding our, our reach. So that's kind of my main vision is where do we need to expand? What is it going to take for us to be able to do more? So taking with that, I want to zoom out just a little bit. Some of the people who are watching this either on YouTube or listening to this on a podcast, they don't know anything about the covenant. They don't know anything about the ECC. They might be somebody's uncle. Somebody might've shared it and said, Hey, these two guys are talking about some cool stuff. Check this podcast out. So can you talk a little bit about um, the covenant as a movement, as a, as a, as truly mission friends, how is the covenant kind of uniquely positioned to play out their role in what God is doing around the world? What is kind of, do you see as the covenant's kind of unique place in the mosaic that God is kind of painting globally right now? I'll just highlight a few things. Uh, I'm going to go back to the, the way in which our movement has articulated God's mission. Uh, we join God in God's mission to see more disciples in more populations in a more caring and just world. Um, that is the, that, that's not sort of globally's mission statement. That's the ECC's mission yeah. statement. Yeah. And um, I, I love that articulation. And then, and then uh, we've broken it down to five priorities of uh, making and deepening disciples, starting and strengthening churches, loving, uh, mercy, doing justice, um, uh, developing leaders, and serving globally. These five ways in which we are doing uh, God's work in the world. And... Um, so I, I would say that one thing that, that our movement brings is, is clarity of vision and um, a, a practical way to get our, our hands and feet going. Um, we, our, our hearts and minds have been turned on. Now we got to get our hands and feet dirty for the gospel in the world. And, and Sir Globally's goal is to do all of those mission priorities across cultures and around the world. And uh, so that's, that's one. Uh, another, uh, another something that I'm really grateful to be a part of in the covenant is our commitment to the mosaic that is humanity, mm -hmm. <laughs> that is the body of Christ. And uh, we, we seek um, in our, our work in the world to reflect God's creativity in the way God made humanity in all of its beautiful hues, <laughs> oh, and, and, and it's, in, it's, it's male, female, I mean, to, to, uh, to see both women and men participating fully as partners in ministry across black, white, and brown divides um, is something that the covenant is, is committed to. And, and that's not, there's no exception in the, in the, in the global mission part of our, of our call. So I'm excited about that. And I, and I think that we are because we've been committed to that for a while, in a position to lead the church, the greater church beyond the covenant, in in this uh, in this movement. Those are just a couple of reasons why I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to, to be part of this. Yeah, and then maybe zoom it out one more time, and this will probably be getting close to our time here together. Um, it goes really fast, um, but you know, as we sit here recording, um, it's the day after a national election. 
Um, there's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of, I think, big questions that the church has to face coming out of 2020 and into the future. Maybe what is your prayer for the church? I'll leave it that generally. What is your, your prayer for, for Christ Church in the United States, maybe both locally and globally? What, 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 would, you, what, what would you like to see God do through his church? You know, I think about John, who was uh, arguably our Lord's best friend, and he said, there is no fear in love, because perfect love casts out fear. And what I see the church and even individuals uh, having to choose between is fear and love. And if we want to evaluate ourselves, what's driving us? Am I operating out of a sense of self-interest and fear or am I operating out of a sense of confident love? And uh, I really want to see the church um, reconcile inwardly um, by, by giving up fear and operating out of love, but also do our job of reconciliation in the world by operating out of love rather than fear. And I think where we go wrong as, as believers is whenever we put our own self-interest first, Whenever self-preservation becomes our motive, we're in trouble. So um, we need to listen to each other well. We need to realize that, you look, every family has a crazy Uncle Louie or whatever you want to call him, uh, but that person's still family. So there may be people within the church family that we have some very strong disagreements with and some that we, we really have, have to take issue with, but we need to be able to sit across from one another and have respectful conversations and, yes, try to persuade one another of what God really wants. Uh, but right now, man, we got, a, we got a serious reputation problem. And it's because of a lack of faithfulness to the gospel itself. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Tom, um, I, I just want, I want to see the church be the church. And it, when we are faithful to our call as, as followers of Jesus, then we need to transcend the cultural wars and, um, and, and follow not an elephant, not a donkey, but a crucified lamb. Mm. And um, I, that's, that's, I didn't make that up. That was, I got that from our former president, Gary Walter. And, and I, mm. it's, there's wisdom there. There's, Somebody's going to preach that. Oh, there is real wisdom there. And um, I, I wish, you know, that, that we can um, affirm that, that Jesus is Lord. And by doing that, we can over, overcome the, the intense differences that we have with each other. Um, and, but like Adam said, it's, it, it, I, I don't buy this. I, I'm not saying let's not talk about it. Let's ignore it. Let's just all be friends and sing Kumbaya. That's, that's not what I'm saying. No, we need to get some intense uh, um, um, arguments, you know, uh, and intense conversation. But let's not be afraid of that. Let's have those hard, candid conversations so that we can find ways to, um, to enjoy our unity even amid uh, pretty, pretty radical differences. Um, having said that, I, I wanna say one more thing that, that, um, that uh, I, I hope won't betray my, my silence about where I am. Uh, I, I, I believe if we're being the church, that we are the conscience of the nation mm -hmm. and that we need to speak truth to corrupt power. Yes. And if there's something going on overtly 
I don't care if it's the president of the United States or the or or somebody you know lesser in position. We need to call those people and those systems and those those policies uh, into account. That is part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus in the public square. And so, yeah, let's transcend the culture wars, but let's not forget our prophetic vocation to speak truth to whoever it is that's violating uh, that truth and, and, uh, and oppressing and, and peoples and, and, and making people suffer. So let's, let's not forget to do that. Yes. Yeah. That feels like a, a faithful witness that finds good company in people like Moses, people like Isaiah, people like Jeremiah, people like yeah. Jesus. You know, yeah. so yeah. Yeah. it just goes on and on. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I really appreciate you taking your time today. If we, as we've been kind of sharing, really more of the heart of of what you all are about and what the covenant is doing, if not so much the details of it. If there are, if someone is curious or wants to learn more about either covenant world relief or development or serve globally, where can they find more information out on the web? Mm -hmm. Well, if you, if you uh, direct them to the ECC website and find Serve Globally, you'll find there uh, the, the six ministries that make up Serve Globally, which includes Covenant World Relief and Development, which includes Covenant Kids Congo, Paul Carlson Partnership, and, and a few others. And then you'll also, they would also find um, uh, a, a link to the 120 plus global personnel or missionaries who are, who are serving faithfully in over 25 countries, and uh, they're doing some amazing work. And uh, I'm, I'm certain that, that your church is supporting uh, some of those global personnel, some of those ministries. Um, but, you know, check us out, folks. There's some good things going on, yes. and you're a part of it. And um, we, we invite you, you know, to partner with us even deeper than you are in prayer and in, in uh, financial um, giving, in, in encouragement, um, you know, in the age of COVID, um, you like you know you can you can invite a whole lot of people that you couldn't invite before. Yeah. You know, and I, I just want to say, Tom, that there are 120 global personnel ready to preach, well. <laughs> ready to share their story, uh, and just let us know if that's ever uh, um, you know an appropriate thing to do on a Sunday morning uh, over Zoom. I'll I'll just you know I'll I'll connect you with the right people. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And thank you all for, for listening or watching today as we continue to explore what God is doing in the greater community. And we'll see you next time.